0: Okay, So, Father in heaven, we're going to open your word in a few moments. The people have stood in agreement, God, and I pray that your spirit would speak to each one of us as we go to the word of God. Open our eyes, enlighten our heart. Father, let your word be written on the tablet of our hearts today. God, I remember that Jesus said that the enemy came immediately to steal the word that was sown, that before people could even have time, in essence, to digest it, if I can use that term. The adversary would come to steal the word, Father, so that their life could not be changed. Well, today, I am standing against that evil spirit. I rebuke him in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying for this word to fall as has already been spoken on good ground today, God, that will bring forth a fruit, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said amen and amen and amen. And you can be seated. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. And let me take just a moment of time to talk to you about who we are. And what I mean by we, I'm talking about not only the fellowship of the Assemblies of God, because I'm going to narrow down to certain principles that are taught in the fellowship in a a few minutes, but that's the corporate body, the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God is the nation's 10th largest fellowship. It's the world's largest Pentecostal denomination with over 60 million uh, adherents, and we would be labeled fundamentalists, just to be honest, and that's because we just believe in the inspired Word of God. We believe that the Word of God is literal unless the passage can, uh, will not allow it to be interpreted literal, that the passage by the context says it's figurative in nature. And so that just simply means that we have put our belief that the Word of God is our compass in life. It's what we follow. We, we look to the Word. We trust in the Word of God. Right. That's what we're, this is not our bookshelf. This is not just on our bookshelf. This is not just something that we set our coffee uh, cup on in the morning time so we don't scratch the table up. This is what we believe in. We hide the word in our heart that we will not sin against the Lord. Amen. Now we are Judeo-Christian. In essence, what that means is, is our belief system is based upon the fact that God had formed a covenant first with a man by the name of Abraham, created a lineage. Uh, through him that would ultimately culminate with the with the, uh, the establishment of a nation. That nation was the nation of Israel. They were held in bondage in Egypt for 400 years and a man by the name of Moses brought them out by miraculous signs and wonders and they crossed the Red Sea and he brought them to the place where he had met God the first time and that was at the base of Mount Sinai. And at the base of Mount Sinai something happened that still reverberates today. Today. Who we are and what we are can trace to a degree. Imagine a, 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 a measure of the validity of me preaching today upon this experience it was there that God told Moses to prepare the people for three days from that conversation God said I will come down God said I will step out of the heavens I will step out and I will literally sit upon Mount Sinai and two million men women boys and girls heard the audible voice of God speak the ten commandments of God to Moses that would later be captured upon stone he this group of men and women when the mountain shook and burned with fire, it caused them to be afraid. And you and I would be afraid at such a magnificent sight at the, uh, the, the visible presence of Almighty God. There were thunderings and lightnings and the mountain. Rocks began to quake and, and it, was the, it was confirmed. And the purpose of that experience was this right here. It would validate the doctrinal beliefs of the Jewish people. It would validate the teachings that would forthcome from Moses. When Moses would go up and spend 40 days in the presence of God, he brought back more than just those Ten Commandments. But but he brought back the five books of what we call the law, and as through the law of Moses we see the teachings of Scripture that the Jewish people believed in, and well I, the reason why I'm saying all that is that you and I as Christians today are trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, and Jesus was a Jew, and Jesus believed in the Word of God, and Jesus quoted from almost all the books of the Old Testament. He trusted in the doctrine of the Scriptures. He believed. Matter of fact, he, he to a degree he reproved the people of his generation, Because he said this, he said, you don't know two things. He said, there are two things you're stumbling over. He said, number one, you don't know the power of God and you don't know the scriptures. And perhaps that's still some of our error today in the culture in which we live. We don't know the scriptures and we don't know the power of God. Because when we know the power of God, the scriptures are illuminated to us and it reveals to us who the Father truly is. And so as believers today, we have set our hearts and we believe that the word of God is authoritative for our lives. Validated by that singular experience that day that two million men and women and children were able to visibly see the glory of God. I want to begin to transition and I want to ask a couple questions to get something going in your mind for a few moments. Don't answer this out loud, only answer it in your heart. Is Christianity a peaceful religion? Just think on it. I answered it this way, yes. It's a peaceful religion. Is Christianity a violent religion? No. Jesus said if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. He stood before the Roman proc- procurator, and, and he said, why don't your servants fight? He said, because my kingdom is not of this world. Even from the cross of Calvary, he said, I could call angels of God right now that would come and would, would, would intervene on my behalf. And he said, but my kingdom is not of this world. And so, in essence, by me saying that, I want you to know that when, when, when we think of the church of Jesus Christ, it is uh, nonviolent, We don't, I'm following up my sermon from last week by saying this, we don't draw, we don't wet, W-H-E-T, we don't wet the sword of jihad. We're not trying to, uh, this is not the days of the crusades. We're not trying to force uh, conversions upon people by throwing them to the ground and putting a knife to their throat. We don't believe in that, right? So it's it's nonviolent in that sense. And so in one sense, it's peaceful. But let me say this, there's one thing about Jesus and his ministry though, in that Jesus was contentious. He was contentious and he was confrontational. Matter of fact, Jesus, in using the analogy for just a moment of the sword, said, don't think that I came to send peace on this earth. He said, I didn't come to send peace. He said, but I came to send a sword that might even divide a household. He said, I'll set the Father against the Son at times because of my belief system, what I teach and what I preach. It is a dividing point. He confronted people, uh, and Jesus' his ministry was confrontational. You and I know that. We recognize that in the teachings of the Word of God. In Matthew chapter number 5, we're going to put these verses of Scripture, and this is the process of us just beginning to glean from some of the words of Jesus. He said, Blessed are you when men will revile you, and when they persecute you, and when they say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Jesus, uh, let's go down. Be exceeding glad, great as reward in heaven they persecuted the prophets that were before you you are the salt of the earth this salt well who you are it's going to agitate it's, it's certain we know it preserves but it's an agitation he said but if the salt is lost its savor wherewith shall it be salted it is thenceforth good for nothing to be cast out and to be trodden under foot you are the light of the world you're a city that is set on a hill you cannot be hid Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but upon a candlestick it gives light unto all that are in the house. So let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father that is in heaven. The ministry of Jesus Christ in bringing the light into the darkness of men, certainly oftentimes we see some conflict that can arise and we are exhorted to, to not hide in the corner. The reality is, is the church in America has hidden in the corner. We've been unafraid to come forward and say, you know what, our Jesus is peaceful in the sense that we are not going to wet the sword of jihad. But we recognize that he was confrontational, that he spoke words that caused contention. And that's who we are as believers today. We teach truth and truth is often met with unbelief and therefore it produces a conflict. Are you all with me today? stay with me we're going somewhere for just a little while so not everybody responded peacefully to the truth of the gospel Jesus said this beware when all manner of men speak good about you are y'all shouting me down already this morning beware that means there's something about who we are that not everybody's going to be happy when we walk in the room John 15 the world hated me therefore it's going to it's going to hate you John 15 and 20, if they persecute me, they're going to persecute you. John 3 and 19, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. Jesus came into his own and his own did not receive them. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave power to be the sons of God. As the apostles would spread the gospel in the book of Acts... There was often conflict or contention. Go to the Word of God and read the, 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 the church, the growing church of the book of Acts. First, the conflict was with the Jews. Dr. Brasfield, a few weeks ago, ministered powerfully from that conflict with the Sanhedrin when the apostle Peter said, who are we going to obey? Obey God or obey men? You're telling me not to preach, but I'm going to lift up my voice and I'm going to preach anyhow. That's the church. That's where we're at because the world wants to silence our voice. Because we recognize that there is an adversary that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And the adversary is fighting against the church. So the apostle said, we're not going to obey your voice. We're going to obey the voice of God. And so it was, co- it was a conflict. There was, con- there was conflict with the early church with political leaders such as Herod and those that were appointed by Rome. There was also conflict with other religious ideologies. And to, uh, uh, We're going to post a verse of Scripture in Acts chapter 19, but let me just mention this one real quickly. This is when Paul was at Ephesus. You remember at Ephesus is when they took the... The handkerchiefs off of his body, and there were many miracles. Paul was there for two and a half years, and it was a revival. I mean people began to come out of the woodwork if you will bringing their curious arts Acts 19 says they burned them. they confessed their deeds they used to delve in black magic but now they've been confronted with the authentic power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they came confessing their works and the Bible says that this is uh, this is where it says that so grew the, 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 the word of God and prevailed so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed but then the 23rd verse of the uh, book of Acts chapter 19 said but at ephesus it said as this began to happen said there would begin to be no small dissension because of it no uh, there arose no small stir about that way the way was the way of the gospel the way of uh, the gospel of jesus christ and the church so as paul is preaching at ephesus his ministry is affecting those that are making idols for the shrine of diana the, the, the pagan temple that's in Ephesus. And so uh, when, the, when it began to hit the, the, the tradesmen in their pocketbook, then they began to respond. Everything was okay at first until they began to fill it financially, and then it brought a stir. It, brought, it was no small stir. That meant it was a contentious moment that occurred that actually left some of the men of the church brought into the, the courtyard square and actually stoned. Or beaten, not stoned. So you can see that the church, the church, and even in the beginning, has had some measure of conflict. So I want you to see that. And the reason why I'm taking time to build a basis for you today, I want you to understand that when we are truly being who God has called us to be, that not everybody is appreciative of it. Okay? Now, I don't necessarily like to talk about this, but I'm just being honest Now, we usually associate the term adversary with the devil, 1 Peter 5 and 8. I just did this. But I want you to hear for just a minute and note how Paul describes certain men and their opposition to the gospel. Philippians 3, verse 18, he said, They are enemies of the cross of Christ. Galatians 1 says, There be some that trouble you and they would pervert the gospel of Christ. First Corinthians 16 and 9, Paul said this A great door of opportunity is open to me, but there are many adversaries. Acts 13 and 18, 13 verses 8 through 11 is when he is confronted with Elamus the sorcerer. It says there, it's on the screen. We're going to go through it quickly. Elimus the sorcerer with his name. Look what he sought to do. He sought to withstand them. Look what his objective was. What was his objective? To turn away the deputy from the faith. See, our culture, even in the church, we've just we've said things that, that that if you just if you take your tone off, if you take your edge, then everybody will just come to you and we'll all sing Kumbaya and it'll be just a great little peaceful moment. That's not the case when you're truly preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's light that penetrates into the darkness and when it penetrates in the darkness, It agitates demonic spirits that oftentimes are rooted in the personalities of people and that word sorcerer meant that in the Greek that he was a conjurer of evil spirits and he was seeking to turn away. There are a lot of people trying to turn away men and women from the faith in our culture today. They are. They're trying to turn away men and women from the faith. But look what the apostle Paul said. He said, but Saul, who is called Paul, was filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what we need, the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. He set his eyes upon him. He didn't say, well, if you'll just sit down with me, we'll share this over a cup of coffee, and maybe we'll be able to work this out. We can all just agree there's enough. No, he just said, you are full of all iniquity and all mischief. You are a child of the devil. You're an enemy of all unrighteousness or all righteousness. Will you not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And an anointing was upon him that caused that man to not be able to see for a season. It was that strong and he was forced away and Saul was able to continue his ministry to the deputy. Just wanted you to see for just a moment of time that for whatever reason our culture has painted a portrait for the church that we're supposed to be docile, quiet, reserved, never making any waves, never offending anybody, never saying anything that's contentious or confrontational or controversial, but that the church is just to be the silent majority in the corner the giant elephant in the corner that we know is there, but we don't want to hear from you. I'm telling you, that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ, come on. The church of Jesus Christ was been sent by God to extend the ministry of Jesus. And extending the ministry of Jesus, the Bible says, "The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force." We're not again wetting the sword of jihad, but we are lifting up the sword of the spirit, because the souls of men are hanging in the balance, while the perversion is permeating our culture. That's turning away, seeking to turn away many from the faith. I will skip that last passage there in Second John chapter seven and Second John verses seven through eleven. There's only one chapter where he he, he the, the Apostle John challenges them concerning. Many many deceivers that are entered into the world I want to put this verse of scripture and I got one passage and I'm going to take you to in just a moment 2nd Timothy perhaps is prophetical to the days that which we live in today this know also that in the last days everything's going to be good and prosperous and everybody's going to have a new car and everybody's going to have a job a good job and everything's going to be just so blessed and there's going to be no contention and we're all going to just get along is that what the Bible says The Bible says in the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous means dangerous times. This is a dangerous age in which we live in today. Ideologies have penetrated even into the church. Second verse. He said men are going to be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. They're without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. good. Despisers of those that are good. Despisers of those that are walking in truth. The Bible says in the book of Acts, all that live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer persecution. He said in the last days they're going to be heady, high-minded lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. That's why our lakes are full but our churches are empty. Because men and women love pleasure more than love God. It's the generation in which we live if we are that last day's generation, the fifth verse. They have a form of godliness. They look religious. They sound religious, but they deny the true power of the gospel. Just because you've got a title, just because you've got a building, just because you've got a sign, just because you've got a pulpit does not mean that you are an anointed man or woman of God. Just because you have a cloak, just because you have uh, 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 a... a platform for your agenda does not mean that you are in the lineage of those that have the anointing of God upon their life. That's the sort that creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers lust. Seventh verse, ever learning, ever learning, the most intelligent generation in the world and we still can't find God. Ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. As Janice and Jambres, those were the magicians that withstood Moses, these will resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. I don't know if the church hasn't done a disservice to our populace, even in the, even in the, the charismatic Pentecostal movement. We painted a portrait that we're not going to face contention or we're not going to face times of persecution. If you have thought that all persecution was something that you read about in the Pentecostal evangel that happens across the sea somewhere, you better open your eyes up because it's all around us right here in the good old United States of America. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. All, look at this, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus are going to suffer what? Persecution. Evil men and seducers are going to do What? Sometimes, again, the preachers get in the way. I want to make sure that y'all are seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, that's what it says. Evil men and seducers are going to wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, the next portion of that scripture, for the sake of time, I will omit. but Paul told Timothy, therefore, you've got to know what you believe. He said, you've been taught the word of God. And as you're taught the word of God, it equips you to withstand the persecution of the age in which we live in. That's why we need to put the word in our hearts and our minds. That's why we sing the word, why every part about us is the word. So we're rooted and grounded and we will not fall prey to the persecution and the seduction of our age. So Paul warns of dangerous days. And so now, oddly enough, Paul was at Ephesus with that great revival that resulted in that moment of contention and Paul eventually would leave the city. Later, when he is captive in Rome... In his first imprisonment, he writes a letter back to the church at Ephesus, and that's my text. That was just my intro. I'm like Dr. Brassfield today. That was just my introduction today, and now just very quickly the text. We're going to go to Ephesians 5, and I want you to see something. This, I believe, I want you to do something with me if you can. Don't just read this historically, but read this as if it was a personal letter from the pen of the Apostle Paul to you. That's the book of Ephesians. That's the letter to the church at Ephesus. It's the letter to the church at Hebrew Springs. Can you look at it that way with me for just a moment? Can, can y'all can y'all look at me for just a moment? Just like so, like this is don't make this in antiquity. Let this be contemporary. This is this is just as relevant today as it was when the apostle sent the letter. So therefore, you and I are followers of God as dear children, second verse. And look what we want to do. We're going to walk in love. Let me say this. No matter what we do, how we minister, who we hope to affect, we always want to walk in love. Come on, somebody. We walk in love. Just because you confront something in somebody's life does not mean that you don't love them. I get in the business of my children all the time. From the day God gave us the first until the day that I depart from this life. I'm going to be in their business. And if I have to confront them, it's in love, but I'm going to do so. For whatever reason, we think that if we address contemporary issues or cultural issues, we're not walking in love. You can walk in love and still address the issues that are surrounding us. As a parent, we know that. We do it all, all the time as parents. Christ has loved us. He's given himself as an offering, a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling Savior, a fragrance. Now here he begins to warn the church, challenging the church, and how we all need to hear this, fornication. The word fornication in Greek is porneo. It means sexual immorality of all kinds. We live in a very sexual, prevalent generation. We have to guard ourselves. Come on now. I'm not just talking about the young. I'm talking about all the way up to grandma and grandpa. Got to guard yourself and keep yourself from sin. All uncleanness or covetousness. Don't let it be once named among you as becometh saints. See, Paul's in their business. He is. Paul's saying, look, deal with the issues of your life. Deal with the issues of your life. If you're you're, you're sleeping with somebody that's not your spouse, then get out of that bed. Come on, repent before God. In Jesus' name, if you can't contain your lust, then get married. That's what 1 Corinthians 7 says. It's better to marry than to burn, to burn with lust. And so uh, the, the Scriptures just speak to us right with who we are. Verse 4, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, to which I repented of just a moment ago. Which are not, I don't think what I did perhaps was the extreme that he's talking about here. Lord, I hope not. No jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. Fifth verse. Let's let's follow this down. This know you that no whoremonger or unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Why is that written? It's because we believe that when you come to Christ, there's a change worked in you. Right, come on. Now, this is a spiritual thing. We believe that when you become born when you when you enter the kingdom of God you are born again. Paul said the old things pass away and all things become new, glory to God. And so he's go back to that verse. I want to leave it up there for just a moment if we can fifth verse. So he's addressing some really strong issues here and he said that if that's who you are then you're not in the kingdom of God because if you're in the kingdom of God then you're a child of God and that's not a part of who you are today. Come on, I'm being honest. That's what he says. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Sixth verse. Let no man deceive you. Did you hear me? Let who? Let no man what? Deceive Deceive you. That means be it a president, be it a congress, be it a a professor at college, be it um, even a parent, if that means a preacher, A religious order, let no man deceive you. That's why you got to know what the Word says. Because evil men and seducers are waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let no man deceive you because of the things previously mentioned, the wrath of God is coming upon the children of disobedience. Now, as a church, here's what we believe in. We believe in the wrath of God twofold. We believe that the wrath of God fell on Jesus on the cross. We believe that he suffered the penalty of God for our sins. Come on, he did. But for those who reject that substitutionary death, then the wrath of God is yet to come. Come on, is that being honest? Come on, I'm being truthful here today. So it's yet to come, but it is coming. Seventh verse, let's go down. This is that awkward silence pope part here. So therefore, don't be a partaker with them. Eighth verse. Don't partake with them. You were sometimes darkness, but now who are you? Come on. What this is saying to me is this saying, this is, there's a distinction. That means I can be at work and I can be working with somebody and we might look the same and we might do the same job, but if he doesn't know Christ and I do, then we are totally distinctly different from each other. I'm in the kingdom of God. He's in the kingdom of, are y'all hearing me today? right? You were sometimes darkness, but now who are you? You're light in the Lord. So what do you do? You walk as children of light. Ninth verse. You walk as children. The fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. The fruit of the Spirit. 10th verse. Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. Dr. Brassel made a very profound statement two weeks ago when he said, did you know God expects the church to be the voice of conscience to a nation? Did did that go right over your head and then you didn't catch it then? He said the church. Who is going to be the voice of conscience for a nation? Who is it? God expects the church to be able to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. Right? That God has given us an illumination. We know Him as Father. We know the Word of God. And we understand that some things are not acceptable in the eyes of God. Some things are degrading and destructive towards humanity as a whole. And so you and I are are the people group that proves what is that acceptable thing unto the Lord, 11th verse. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather... Thus the title of my sermon today, To Reprove and to Resist. To Reprove and to Resist. We won't go to this verse of scripture, but I'm gonna share with you here as I transition, very, very important. It's important. I I don't know, I'm not even gonna turn my phone. I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know what time it is. Somebody shut the back door back there with me if you would, because I like to be, I like to feel like I'm shut in. Paul would later write in Ephesians chapter number six he said, when you put on the full armor of God, he said, we don't wrestle with principalities and powers, but against the rulers of the darkness of this world. What Paul was saying is this right here. Okay, we're dealing with men. We're in the arena of men. We recognize that there are many adversaries that are contending with us uh, against the gospel, but then men are also what we're in pursuit of. They're our prize. We're wanting to reach men with the gospel. And he said, said, so therefore our struggle, even though we find ourselves contending with men at times, our true struggle is not with men Our true struggles with demonic spirits right, that are hid in heavenly places. That's what he said in Ephesians 6 and 12. And he said, so in this 13th verse, you've got to be prepared to be able to withstand in the evil day. The word withstand in the Greek is anahistami, from which we get our equivalent of anahistamine. And it is a resistance to the evil day. And so as a church and as a child of God and as a born-again believer in the culture in which we live, God does expect us to walk in love right, to walk in love, to have the joy of the Lord, all those things. But when we need to, we reprove, right, we're unafraid to lift up our voice. Jesus was unafraid. Jesus said, if I hadn't spoken to them, they would have had a covering for their sin. But because I did speak to them, I confronted them. And once you confront someone, now the Holy Spirit can convict them of sin and they can find their way to repentance and restoration in the kingdom of God. And so we walk in love. We're not bitter, we're not angry, we're not not, uh, malicious towards people. We value people. Our Savior bled and died on the cross so that all men everywhere might have access to the glorious knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've been sent as his ambassadors to tell every man that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Hallelujah. The glorious grace of Almighty God. All of sin to come short of the glory of God. God has laid upon Him. We have all like sheep went astray, but God laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And so therefore He compels us, no matter who we are where we are, no matter how wretched we've been, if we will but repent of our sins and turn to Him and trust in the blood that He shed on the cross, then He will wash you white as snow and you'll be clean in the eyes of Almighty God. My friends, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ that the world needs to hear but I want you to know the world is still trying to prevent us from conveying that message there's opposition in the land I want you to know in my heart of hearts a dark day has dawned on America today it's a dark day it's a dark day and now I'm about to shift and transition and talk to you just real quickly about something that's really important it's cultural it's contemporary. I don't necessarily like to do it, but I'm forced to do it. Forced to. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit, and I'm compelled by the contemporary cultural issues that we're facing today. And that is, I'm going to talk for just a few minutes today about. I'm going to talk about for just a few minutes about the aggressive, hostile, even violent movement. Of the gay and lesbian movement that's in the culture today okay now listen as i do so let me tell you today i'm not here to throw stones at anybody i'm telling you again we know we know what sin is we know because we were born sinners we know and we know how degrading it can be but we also know how glorious it is when you're delivered from it amen and how wonderful it is But there is a movement in the earth today. It's in America that it just gains momentum daily daily it's 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 just it's almost like this and in Genesis chapter number 19 do you remember very quickly if I can so bear with me for just a moment I'm going to share something in closing I got one final document that I'm going to share but it's important that you hear this today if you have any respect for me at all today please afford me this time to share this with you today in Genesis chapter number 19 when Lot was dwelling in Sodom remember that passage of scripture dwelling in Sodom and the Bible says that he vexed his righteous soul living amongst them when the angels that were going to pronounce the destruction of of judgment upon the city came they were brought into the house of Lot Lot was the nephew of Abraham and Lot brought them into his house as the sun began to set on the course of the day the men of the city came out of their house of their homes, if you will, and they came and they surrounded the house of Lot and they demanded that Lot would bring out those two men, they perceived them to be men, that they could know them sexually. Lot didn't know what to do. He was so, so appalled at the situation. He, even, and it's hard for us dads to recognize what he did, he he said, I'll bring you my virgin daughter out, but please don't harm these men that have come into my house and, and so as he, in essence, is reproving them, then they got even more violent. You know what they said? They said, who are you, you stranger among us? Who are you to judge us? How many times have we heard that today echo? Who, why is the church judging us? Why is the church in our business? Why is the church telling us how to live our lives? God has sent us as an ambassador for Jesus Christ to preach the word of God because you're held in the bond of iniquity. And we want to see you delivered before the judgment of God does come on the earth a second time. And so I, I, I began to think about that for just a moment. And I thought about the movement. Now, not the, the, listen, let me tell you, this affects every person under the sound of my voice. It affects us politically. It affects us socially. It affects us culturally. And it even affects our local families. And many of, our, uh, many of you have, 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 have even have close kinships and, and that, that have fallen prey to the homosexual spirit that's in the earth. And then at the same time, even in, in the church, some people still struggle that have been delivered with tendencies. We have to deal with all that as well. And again, if you, if you think that I'm here in hate or bitterness or anger, you're not judging my heart accurately today. I'm addressing things that I believe that I'm forced to because we've been backed into a corner by an aggressive militant movement that first came out of hiding, if you would, and just wanted some measure of acceptance in the culture, but that wasn't enough. So then they moved like the men of Sodom to the door of our government, and now they wanted more than just to be able to come out of the closet. Then they wanted to be recognized almost like a people group. They try to, to lift the movement to, the, to, to what the civil rights movement of the 60s was. And that's wrong. That's robbing and cheating a wonderful work that began to uh, tear down prejudice in America on racial uh, tendencies and tensions. And, and that movement continues. And we thank God for it. But on the flip side of this, when you take people who are struggling with sexual sin in their life and put them on a people group equal to a minority and a racial group, you have missed the mark of God. You missed. You may have aimed at the mark, but you missed the mark. And so that was the the next step. And so then then they're wanting the church. Now where we're at today is that the the movement wants the affirmation of the church. Wants the church. Did you know the Lutherans have fallen? The Episcopal Church has fallen. The United Church of Christ has fallen. And this week... One of the longest, previously one of the strongest denominations in America, the Presbyterians fell to the pressure that's in our age to affirm the activities of homosexuality. And this is not the end. Okay? I I don't like to talk about it. I've been your pastor for 10 years. I I don't really address these things every week, do I? I, I? But I'm backed in a corner. I backed in a corner we have to we have to because just like the men of sodom surrounded the house that lot was in it's surrounding us at one time we sat in the hill country of north central arkansas when those things were just far away off that's not far away off anymore and we got to deal with it i believe god's calling us to do two things reprove and resist reprove in love and resist by the power of the holy spirit i believe that Okay, Let me tell you about who the Assemblies of God is real quickly. Here's where I want to ask you, just real quick, bear with me for just a few moments today. Okay, The Assemblies of God is a fellowship that has issued a measure of a stand themselves. And this is my closing. I'm going to close with reading a position paper that was first published in 1979 here in America by the Assemblies of God and was revised in 2001, 13 years. That's a lot of water under the bridge. But I'm going to tell you, this is becoming the dividing line of the church in America today. It is. Listen to me carefully today. You may want to turn me off and and hurry up and get out of here, but I'm just telling you, we we cannot escape. We're going to have to eventually arrive at a place in your own life where you say, I believe this or I believe that and i got to hang out with the people that I believe with because how can two walk together unless they be agreed, right? And so I'm not trying to drive anyway, anybody away today, but I am telling you it is becoming the dividing line of the church in our generation. So the Assemblies of God publish this, this particular um, statement, and I'm going to read it to you because it's, it's, it's decently lengthy, but it is so well written that I just said I, I can't add to it or take away from it. I'm just going to embarrass myself <laughs> with, these clo- with these glasses. Now you know what Pastor Brown looks like in the morning when he's sitting in his chair reading the scriptures. I want to make sure I don't miss this. Do y'all feel that? Do I look like Dr. Brassfield? <laughs> Adopted by the General Presbytery of the Assemblies of God, August 6, 2001. Increasing political and religious advocacy for homosexuality has prompted us to restate our position on this critical issue. We believe that all matters of faith and conduct must be evaluated on the basis of Holy Scripture, which is our infallible God. Since the Bible does speak on the subject, and the Bible does speak on it, It is imperative that the church correctly understands and articulates the truth on this important contemporary issue written 13 years ago. And oh my, how things have come to the forefront. This reaffirmation of truth has become all the more urgent because writers sympathetic to the homosexual community have advanced revisionist interpretations of relevant biblical texts that are based upon biased exegesis and mistranslation. In effect, they seek to set aside almost 2,000 years of Christian biblical interpretation and ethical teachings We believe these efforts are reflective of the conditions described in 2 Timothy 4, verse 3. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they will suit to their own desires, and they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. It should be noted at the outset that there is absolutely no affirmation of homosexual activity found anywhere in Scripture rather the consistent sexual ideal is in the bible is chastity for those that are uh, for those outside of a monogamous heterosexual marriage and fidelity for those inside such a marriage there is also abundant evidence that homosexual behavior along with listen to this along with illicit heterosexual behavior is immoral and comes under the judgment of god We believe in the light of biblical revelations that the growing cultural acceptance of homosexual identity and behavior, male and female, is symptomatic of a broader spiritual disorder that threatens the family, the government, and the church. I would not be a pastor with any merit in the eyes of God if I didn't take the time to address this issue in light of the times and the seasons in which we live here today. We believe... In the light of biblical revelation, that the growing cultural acceptance... No, I missed that. I just read that. This paper is a brief exposition of those biblical teachings on that subject. Listen carefully. Historically, homosexuality, homosexuality was defined as an emotional psychological, or organic, physiological problem. But in recent years, some have lobbied mental health organizations to have homosexuality removed from the list of classified diagnostic pathologies, and many have come to see it as nothing more than a morally neutral personal preference or a naturally occurring aspect of human biological diversity. In making moral judgments, we must remember that the Scripture warns against depending on our own reasoning or even our own personal experience to discern truth, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Don't lean on your own understanding. When God called Israel to be his people in a distinctive sense, he miraculously delivered them from Egyptian bondage. But God did more. He entered into a covenant relationship with them and provided the law, predicated on love for God and neighbor, by which they could order their lives as a holy people. That law included specific prohibitions of homosexual practice, such as Leviticus 18 and 22. Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman, for that is detestable. Lest the previous injunction be misunderstood, Leviticus 20 and 13 provides a restatement. If a man lies with a woman as one lies with a man, both of them have done what is detestable. Detestable used in both verses is a strong word that indicates divine displeasure with sin. Now, the Christian church has historically understood that although the ceremonial provisions of the Old Testament law were no longer in effect after the atoning death of Christ, the New Testament interpretation and restatement of its moral law was. On the subject of homosexuality, both the Old and the New Testament speak with one voice. The moral prohibitions against homosexual behavior in the Old Testament are pointedly repeated in the New Testament. Are y'all with me today? To those who are witnessed on a daily basis, the sexual license or were witnessed on a Daily basis, the sexual license of imperial Rome, Paul addressed in Romans 1. You say, Pastor, where does it talk about homosexuality in the New Testament? Romans 1 is one of the first places that addresses it. Listen very carefully. It says, they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust, for even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with lust one for the other. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. That's Romans 1, 25 through 27. Paul is referring to both male homosexuality and lesbianism. Paul addresses to the church at Corinth, which was especially notorious for sexual immorality. It was a crossroads of commerce, but it was also with all kinds of vice. Because the church was established in the city, it was important that new Christians come to understand God's moral order. The record is explicit. Listen to what Paul, now Paul's addressing the the Corinthian church. "Do Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Then he continued, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders will inherit the kingdom of God. First Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. In this case, Paul is understood to identify male homosexuals in both active and passive homosexual behavior roles. Paul wrote, law is not made for a righteous man, but for those that are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers and mothers for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals. 1 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. An unbiased study of these passages make it clear that Scripture consistently identifies homosexual behavior as sin. Not only do the scriptures condemn more flagrant examples of homosexual violence and promiscuity, they also provide no support for the popular modern idea that loving and committed homosexual relationships between two long-term partners are morally acceptable. That's not the end, but let me read that statement again very quickly. Not only do the scriptures condemn more flagrant examples of homosexual violence and promiscuity, they also provide no support... For the popular modern idea that loving and committed homosexual relationships between two long-term partners are morally acceptable, homosexual activities of every kind are contrary to the moral commandments that God has given us. Homosexual behavior is a sin because it's create contrary to God's created order for the family and for human relationships. The first chapter of the Bible says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. When God had created the male, he indicated it was not good for him to live alone. So God created a companion for him. It should be noted that the male's aloneness was not to be remedied by the creation of another male, but by the creation of a female. God created two sexes, not just one, and each for the other. God brought, we saw it yesterday, Pastor Johnny brought together together A man and a woman. God brought the man or brought the woman to Adam and he said, Adam said this, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Scripture then states, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and they will become one flesh. In creating humankind, God established the order of sexuality by which the race was to develop. Psychologically, the relationship is sound. Physically, the relationship is natural. Sociologically, it establishes the foundation of the family. The biblical order for human sexual expression is that of an intimate physical relationship to be shared exclusively within a lifelong marriage covenant, a heterosexual and monogamous relationship. When people choose to engage in homosexual behavior, they depart from the God-given nature of sexuality. Their unnatural sexual behavior is a sin against God who established the order of sexuality. And the social unit that they seek to establish is contrary to the divine. I don't care if it's the modern family. I don't care if Channel 7 puts it on on our televisions. God doesn't call it the family. Are you hearing me today? I'm just, I'm just wanting you to understand. Again, I'm not bitter or angry. I'm not uh, being a bigot. I'm just simply declaring the truth of the Word of God today. Without truth, we will fall into error. So please stay with me for just a few moments. In Jesus' discussion with the Pharisees, He reiterated the order of sexuality that God established in the beginning. Haven't you read? This is Jesus again. How many of you believe in Jesus? Right, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And Jesus Himself by His own mouth said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He pointed out the only alternative to a heterosexual marriage is celibacy for the kingdom of, of heaven's sake. Homosexual sin is a, a, behavior is a sin that, come, that will come under divine judgment. Here they mentioned the ancient city of Sodom, and Sodom to which I've already mentioned has become a synonym for homosexual behavior. While other evils existed in the community, sodomy was prominent. The homosexuals of Sodom were so depraved that they threatened homosexual rape of Lot's guests. Bring them out to us that we can have sex with them, Lot was told. The biblical record indicates that the mob became violent and tried to break down the door of Lot's house. The only divine interpretation spared Lot and his household from their evil intentions and God subsequently destroyed both Sodom and the neighboring city of uh, Gomorrah. God's punishment of these cities was of such severity that is used as an illustration of divine judgment by both Peter and Jude. Jude's commentary is particularly apt. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion and they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. The book of Judges records an incident in the ancient Benjamite city of Gibeah that has many similarities to the sin of Sodom. Certain wicked men of the city sought to force a visiting Levite male into homosexual acts with them. Into homosexual acts with them. They were denied their insistent request. The attackers finally settled for a vicious sexual abuse and gang rape of the Levite's concubine that resulted in her death. The other tribes of Israel found the crime so repugnant that when the tribe of Benjamin refused to surrender the offenders, they eventually went to war and they decimated the Benjamites. Now listen to the Assemblies of God. Listen to the writers. These are particularly notorious examples of homosexual expression that undoubtedly most homosexual persons today would repudiate. Or repudiate. It would be understood that while the expressing abhorrence at such rapacious perversion, the biblical writers do not imply that heterosexuals are not capable of sexual atrocities, nor that every homosexual is as depraved as the residents of those ancient cities. So the writers and the leaders of the assemblies of God are saying, we know that not everybody is evil as the men of Sodom. Does that make sense? And we also know that heterosexuals are also uh, have the potential to sin. Are you hearing me today? Nor should modern Christians draw those implications. It is important to note, however, that wherever homosexuality occurs in the biblical record, it is in an occasion of scandal and judgment. Homosexuality is never viewed in a positive light. So the biblical writers make it clear that practicing homosexuals along with sexually immoral heterosexuals and other unrepentant sinners will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul also described homosexual conduct as evidence of God's judgment for humankind's corporate rebellion against him. Jesus himself was explicit that at the end of the age the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Homosexual behavior is sin. Listen to this. Daryl, join me on the platform. Homosexual behavior is sin for which reconciliation is possible. We have the antidote, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of His blood, the power of forgiveness. While Scripture makes it clear homosexual behavior is sin and comes under the judgment of God, it also indicates that those who are guilty of homosexual behavior, any other sin, can be reconciled to God. Amen? Any other sin can be reconciled. In the church at Corinth were former homosexuals who had been delivered from the power of sin by the grace of God. Paul listed homosexuals along with immoral heterosexuals as those who cannot inherit the kingdom of God. His grammar implies continuing sexually immoral activity until their conversion. Verse 11 follows with a powerful contrast. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed You were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. They had been homosexuals in orientation and behavior, but now through the power of God's Spirit, their lives are radically transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. The government doesn't have the ability to help people that are caught in the vice of sexual perversion, homosexuality, but the church does. We have the voice. We've been backed into the corner and our voice has not been heard. We must allow our voice to be heard. Scripture makes it clear that the, 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 the power of the death and the resurrection of Christ is unlimited for those who accept it. There is no stain of sin so dark that it cannot be cleansed. John the Baptist announced, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote, God hath made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle John wrote, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, people, regardless of the nature of their sin, can be made new creations in Christ Jesus. God's plan of salvation is the same for all. The homosexual who wants to be delivered from the penalty and power of sin must come to God in the same way that all sinners come to God, humbly before the Lord and repenting before the Lord. And if we do so, how many of you know God receives us? God will receive us. He will in no wise turn us away. Last last few paragraphs. The act of turning to God for salvation includes both repentance and faith. Jesus is both Savior and Lord. He is the one who forgives our sin as we believe in Him and repent. Repentance represents a change (coughs) of mind in which there is a turning from sin in both attitude and behavior. Jesus is also the one whose lordship we affirm in holy living. It is God's will, 1 Thessalonians writes. Or Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, It is God's will that you should be sanctified and that you should avoid sexual immorality and that each one of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. Like the Philippian jailer who asked that he, what he had to do to be saved, those desiring salvation must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing that he can save from the, he can save from the power as well as the penalty of sin. Obedient faith, like repentance, is a condition of salvation. And lastly, from the writers of this particular paper, they said, here's the word to the church. So listen, listen, these are my closing. I have just a couple closing thoughts, and I'm closing today. It's so very important that you afford me the time because I didn't ask to preach this. The culture has pushed us into a corner, forced force that we respond. We have, to, we, have to, we have to. We have to define who we are, what we are, and what we believe. We have to be willing to shine the light of truth because without the light of truth, men will be forever held in bondage. They will be in the error of their ways and they will be doomed to a devil's hell. But the church of Jesus Christ has the message that can break the chains of bondage and bring men and women out of darkness into God's marvelous light. A word to the church... So if the Assemblies of God, this is our 100-year celebration. We are the world's largest Pentecostal movement between 60 million and 100 million adherents worldwide. And some of the leaders of the fellowship are sending a word to us that was relevant in 2001 and is even more relevant today. A fundamental importance for every individual, including those who struggle with homosexual temptation or behavior, is the need for reconciliation with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. Even believers who struggle with homosexual temptations must be encouraged and strengthened by fellow Christians. Likewise, they should be taught that temptation is universal, that temptation in itself is not sin, and that temptation can be resisted and overcome. You can overcome by the power of Jesus Christ, by the power of His name. The moral imperatives of Scripture are incumbent upon all persons However, believers should not be surprised that unbelievers do not honor God and do not recognize the Bible as a rightful claim on their lives and conduct. So there we are with that contention again. Does that make sense? We we have been caught like, oh, I just thought everybody would, would, would just accept this, what we're teaching. No, no, there's contention in the earth. Peter writes clearly, all of the conflict and contrast between a believer and unbeliever in his first epistle. Listen to this. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude because he who has suffered in this body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. You lived in debauchery and lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. And they heap abuse on you. But they, they heap abuse. Let me say, you have not seen the end of the abuse that's coming on the church that's willing to stand up and say, I disagree with it. We're not doing it in bitterness. We're not doing it in hate. But you have not seen the end of the abuse that is coming, the persecution that's coming upon even the church in America. As Christians, we must both exhort believers to live in moral purity and express in word and deed Christ's love for the lost. Aware of the claims of God on every aspect of our lives, we must emphasize that we are called to holiness. To unbelievers, we reach out with compassion and humility. Come on, somebody. I need a bigger amen to that. To unbelievers, we reach out with compassion and humility. We must hold no malice toward or fear of homosexuals. Such attitudes are not of Christ. At the same time, we must not condone sexual behavior that God has defined as sinful. We know it's a delicate balance that the church must maintain. We do not condone it, but we don't condemn. Does that make sense? We maintain that, and we condemn the sin, but we reach out in love to the sinner. Christians should also do all they can to assist the person who has struggled with homosexual behaviors to find deliverance. Change is not always easy, but how many know it's always possible? It may require the help of others in the body of Christ, such as counselors and pastors, as well as supportive church fellowship. Christian organizations are available to help those who seek to change their lifestyles. We desire all to be reconciled to God, all to experience the peace and joy that stems from the forgiveness of sin through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. God does not want any to perish in their sins. He invites all to accept His offer of eternal life. And as part of His church, we issue that invitation to life in Christ to everyone. This was given to us in 2001 as the statement of the Assemblies of God. I think it's imperative that you know what you believe, what this fellowship believes. So I believe as a pastor that we're called to reprove and to resist. Does that make sense today? To reprove and to resist. We reprove in love, but we also resist the bigger picture. The bigger picture, there are demonic spirits that are moving in the earth. Did you know the men of Sodom long ago passed away? But the spirits of Sodom are still alive today. Those are the spirits that Paul warned us about and he said, you got to withstand them. The church is the voice that withstands those spirits because they're coming to steal men and women out of the kingdom of God. Who's going to be the difference maker? It's not our government. Our government has failed us in this area. This is not Democratic or Republican. It happened on both watches. Happened on both watches. But the church, the church has the answer through the love of Jesus Christ We have to be willing to reprove, but also to resist. We reprove in love, but we resist evil spirits in prayer, giving no place to them, binding them in the name of Jesus Christ. We must be a part of a resistance that gives no place to the devil. We reprove by the light of the word, and we resist the temptation to fall prey to the cultural pressure of affirming this lifestyle. We resist those evil spirits. We preach the truth in love, and we reprove. We reprove by the power of the grace of God, by the light of the Word of God, and we resist those spirits. I tell you, this is tough, church family. It's tough. That's where we're at. We're backed into the corner. Confusion mounts around us, and we've been afraid to lift up our voice, and we hold the answer. Come on, we, we hold the church of Jesus Christ holds the answer the blood of Jesus Christ will take away all our sin does that make sense today I've been all week saying God I don't even know what to do I said God this is the beginning I don't know what the end is I don't know what the end is it's just a journey that I feel compelled in my in my spirit that I will stand before God and I will give account of the time that I serve as your pastor if I don't help prepare you to reprove and to resist so that you can go home today and say you know what if I reprove somebody in love and, I, and I'm handling them gracefully and with kindness just because I oppose something that they're doing doesn't make me a bigot I'm sorry it does not make us a bigot because we simply say that we believe that that practice is not acceptable in the eyes of God just because the Presbyterian church is now going to bless homosexual unions and just because the Episcopalian church is and the Lutheran church is and the United Church of Christ is, we are not. The Assemblies of God is not going to and this pastor is not going to. It's not. It would condone something God has condemned. If there's any part of this that's prophetical, hear it right now. This is just the beginning. I'm telling you, there is an evil and dark day has arisen in our nation and it has not come to a head just yet. And you're going to be forced to decide what side of the fence you're going to be on. Are you hearing me today? And so don't don't just come to church anymore and think it's all about just playing games and it's a social gathering. This is reproving and resisting. That's what this is about. We're reproving and resisting. We're reproving and we resist in Jesus' name. I'm going to have to address this again at different depths on Wednesday night to expound further. I'm fighting ideologies that have been sown into our children and our children's children. I'm fighting acceptance and I'm fighting a spiritual apathy where men and women are afraid to count. They're afraid to lift up their voice. And I just feel like God is moving me in the spirit to call men and women. Nick, last week I said, isn't it time to join the army of resistance? And that's what I'm speaking to you today. Isn't it time that the church that holds the answer to deliver men and women from bondage is no longer afraid to lift up our voices and say the blood of Jesus Christ can save you from all iniquity God is so gracious and merciful you can do it you can balance it Jesus did Jesus confronted men and women but when they brought a woman caught in adultery and dropped her at his feet he didn't throw a stone at her he said woman where are your accusers has no one condemned thee she said no man Lord He said, neither do I condemn thee. But then he did say this, but go. Come on, somebody. Our generation just says, go. Go do what you please. God has sanctified it. God has blessed it. Jesus loved her enough to say, go. Sin no more. So you can balance it. We can. We can reprove and we can resist and we can do so in love. We stand up today. I preached a long, long time. And I apologize for not a single moment of it. We reprove and we resist in Jesus' name. God, it would be amiss if I didn't have our heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, not even knowing how to give the right and appropriate response.